So obviously want to dig into the tour and get caught up and talk a little music and uh, let's get into this tour, man. Super excited for an intimate evening with Baroness. We got you on March 24th at the House of Blues of Anaheim and kind of curious whose idea was this for this uh, fan voted set list rather than just doing a Golden Grey tour? Who was the one that came up with this idea to let the fans in on what music gets played? Well, actually, just you know, the the idea of having a fan, you know, engaging with our fans in in, uh, in, in an actual way, uh, and and then giving them some of you know some authorship over what we play. It's not like a it's not like a totally new idea. It's it's something we've we've sort of toyed around with for years. But recently, you know, at the at the end of this uh, you know pandemic thing and all of the isolation and everything, we felt like it, among other things, like it would be a really cool fun idea to get out there and to provide kind of a unique show or a different show than, uh, you know, than maybe many of our, our audience members were used to. You know, I think we discussed it internally as a band, and um, I, I believe some of the idea, and, or at least some of the logistics uh, of this idea, we discussed with our management, who had just tried something similar with another of their acts called Metallica. And I think, <laughs> it, I think when Metallica had done it, it had gone well. And they thought that we could try out a similar idea in a much more intimate setting and it's just kind of a it's kind of a cool idea like one of those things that i guess in, maybe in years past we would have we would have come up with and, and we would have you know probably shot it down pretty quickly because up until you know 2020 it felt like there was only one way you could run a show and since then it's become more and more apparent to us and to a lot of you know to a lot of our peers that coming out of this pandemic we can really bring something new into a venue and we can really try to do something different because we, we you know what do we have to lose you know at this point what do we have to lose we, <laughs> we might as well get out there and try to do something different i love it man i love the idea and i love yeah. including fans and kind of curious too just being a music nerd like you know the votes all tallied in are you just going all right so eula got the most votes so that one goes last or first or, or do you kind of arrange it once you know what songs you're playing first off what we had to do in order to prepare for this was we had to learn oh geez i can't even remember that everything like, like 60 or 70 songs. It's ridiculous. It's a lot of material and then it's not, you know, none of it's particularly simple. Our music is not the easiest music, even for us who, you know, to, who have written it and who have played it. If we don't play a song for four or five years, we have to go back and we really have to dig our, you know, sink our teeth into it in, in order to figure it out. It's, it, a lot of times the, the music's really complicated. So we had to, we had to learn all of these songs and then through that process, I think we got some access to the, some of the early voting just to see how song selection was going to be. Because quite frankly, there's a handful of songs in our back catalog that were primarily written and, and created in a studio environment. So not super easy to bring onto a stage. It turns out that those songs, by and large, are not the songs that people are voting for. So we found a couple songs that were going to be too difficult. We didn't really spend too much time with. So we kind of focused on these, you know, like I said, 50, 60, 70 songs that, that we figured we would get voted for. And we see the list. I mean, we have access to it, but we don't. We typically don't look at it until a day or two before the show. What we've done, on, we, did a, we did leg one of this tour last fall. And what we would do is we would take the top 10 voted songs in any given city, and we would create three different sets because we're playing a very long we're playing a very long show so set a would be the 10 top 10 requested songs and it is a bit you know it can be a bit tricky considering we use different guitars different tunings different configurations to, to play these songs we have to really have to organize and structure those songs in an interesting way so that at the top of our show our audience gets to hear the songs that they voted for then after that for those first 10 after those first 10 songs uh gina 
who's uh, our other guitar player and, and vocalist, she and I do typically three or four songs that are either written acoustic or we, we reconfigure a handful of our songs to be acoustic songs. So we do like, you know, sort of the midpoint of the set is, is kind of a gentler presentation of music. And then that would be set B. And then by the time we get to the, our C set, those, those are the songs that we want to play. <laughs> you know, like sometimes they're just really, they're some of the the really old songs that we've dusted off for this tour that, that don't get voted for very frequently. You know, songs from our EPs or our first record that, you know, that many of our real fans haven't heard before. When we went back and we learned them and reworked them into our set list, we learned, we remembered that they're, you know, they're actually really fun songs to play. So the C set is kind of a mixed bag of really old, really heavy tunes. And then a lot of, the, you know, our more, more recent material uh, from our last record, Golden Grey, which due to the pandemic, we really not, never got a chance to properly support. So, yeah, yeah so there is, a li- there is a little bit of a routine from night to night, at least in, in terms of how this show is pr- presented. But I, looked at, I was looking at um, the set list from that first tour, which is uh, roughly a month and a half long, and every single set list was different. There were, there were, the, the set list never get repeated, even if people vote, tend to vote for the same 15 songs. <laughs> over right. and over again. We really try to make sure that all that work that we did learning those songs gets put to good use and we won't you know, cause we want to play and we like all of those songs. I'm kind of curious what uh, Nick and, and Sebastian are doing when you guys are doing your little uh, acoustic set. I'm, I'm curious what they're doing, if they're eating or taking a drink or what, how they kill that time. They're definitely taking a break. You know, I'm positive that they drink. I'm positive they have a well-deserved drink after the first hour of, you know, what, what can be pretty intense music. I'm jealous. I don't really get, I don't really get the opportunity <laughs> ever on stage to walk off and, uh, and take a breather. And, you know, as, as you can imagine being, being, the, being a lead vocalist, I'm, I could use it. I would appreciate it. But no, no, they, yeah, they, they, t- they typically, they'll, they'll go off stage and take a breath, make fun of us, um, <laughs> jeer, you know, whatever, whatever you do. Then they come back on and just crush it for the another hour or two uh, it's a it's a long set so any any break that any of us can get we we really appreciate maybe it's time for a four section do a bass and drum solo group <laughs> section for a while so you can take a breather well you know what actually maybe i misspoke the, the we do we do come out of the acoustic set with a song that is primarily bass and drums ah. so i get i typically you know gene and i typically get about 45 60 75 seconds <laughs> where we don't really have to do anything so that's you know that is, that is nice um but yeah no it's it's cool and i think you know i think really the 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 coolest part of the way that this the, the way that the show has shaped up because of the the fan voted set list because of the acoustic set and that like brief kind of intermission feel it feel to the set list is the show takes on this very kind of cinematic epic quality where we really try to to give a, a, a as diverse a cross-section of our music as, as possible and that has to do with you know some of the energy dynamics of the song some being some being you know extremely loud and and intense and something extremely gentle and quiet songs that are now nearly you know two decades old versus song, right next to songs that are basically just written and, and released and it, you know and then in addition to all that in, in order to make the set compelling for us and in order that we can really give it our all we tr- we leave a lot of room for uh improvisation and you know there's a there's a handful of instrumental sections that we we that, that don't really follow um 
you know, a script or a pattern. We just, we, we do, we do improvise quite a bit during the night. So they turn it, some, sometimes they kind of turn into jams. Sometimes it turns into like rhythm workouts or, you know, just kind of atmosphere. You know, everything, everything. We try to do as much as we can as a band, you know, there's four of us. We're, we're each skilled at our instrument as well as a few others. So we really try to, we tr- really try to give our audience as much as we possibly can because we realize that we're asking a lot out of an evening with set where there's no openers and there's really no break. There's no true sound break for, for the audience. So it's up to us to make that time valuable for, for the audience and to make them feel like they're part of it. And, you know, it's really, it's really fun in these settings because a lot of the venues are quite small to be able to have conversations with our audience as we're playing. Uh, so it really feels in some ways like a rehearsal where we just can't afford to make mistakes. Do you ever get a little uh, storyteller with it, being that it is such an intimate thing and kind of break down a song or I remember when we wrote this song, whatever, that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's, it's almost obligatory when you present an evening of music the way that we do it would be kind of preposterous if we didn't if we didn't ever take a moment and you know and address the audience and and communicate with them i mean i mean sometimes it's quite intimate and sometimes i feel as though i'm having or i I literally am having a conversation with a single person at a time in our audience you know and occasionally it gets kind of it it can be a little messy and and drinking and and that's you know that's all that's all well and good and sometimes you know sometimes I, i feel like there's some space to explain a bit about you know what some of materials about or uh, you know just to you know in a way having been off stage for two for two years which is for me a record in in the past 25 years of my existence as a musician i've never i've never taken more than four or five months off uh, off of tour so the the break that we had has you know has brought us back with a you know a, a deeper kind of appreciation and respect for what we do and part of that and a part of what baroness has always been focused on is maybe breaking down some of that illusionary boundary between the you know between the performer and the audience and recognizing that the best possible show that we can play is one where an audience is it it truly is in some form a part of the show whether whether it's just sharing you know a a vocal kind of energy whether it's singing along whether it's it can be a a bit hard and, and elusive to define exactly what that is but you know quite frequently and i would say I, yeah, I would say that the best shows that we ever play are the ones where the audience is the best. You know, you know, we could we could make mistakes in, with, within our music, but if the audience is loving it, that will elevate the energy in the room, and, and those are the you know those are truly the, the amazing shows. So I think that this tour in particular really tries to give to create an environment where that's possible every night, because as I said, the setting is very small. The audience is hearing songs that they know that they've chosen, and in addition to that, we're playing, and I think every night we play a nearly equal. Uh, selection of songs from every record that we've got. So that's six records and a couple of VPs. Uh, so no matter what era of this band you are a fan of, it will be present at our show. Love it, man. Certainly looking forward yeah. to it. And you had touched on the the two years at home, and I can't imagine you're a guy that really like sits on your hands. There had to be some creating going on, some writing. Is there any new music written during this pandemic? We think we'll get some new Baroness music this year, next year. What are we thinking? There is some new music, yeah, yeah, and it's it's good. <laughs> We're really excited to start playing. Who know, who knows? Uh, some of that music may make an appearance in some 
perform another on 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 these tours. Ah, do we have Who any knows? do we have any sort of target date? Are we thinking this year, next year, EP, album, double album? What are what's the mindset? The mindset's it's less specific, but it's told. This is this is all I'm saying. It's as soon as is humanly possible. As soon as we're absolutely, I mean, we're we're nearly at the finish line with uh, with what we what we've been working on that we're extremely excited about seeing it to release. So I don't see any point in delaying that for any reason whatsoever. So as soon as it's done, as soon as we're able to create the product, the physical the physical version of it, uh, we will be out there touring because we see the albums as a means to get ourselves on tour, to live the, the you know, this like beautiful musical adventure that we've been living uh, for so long now. We, we need new albums and we need to feel with each album that we've given everything that we have and that, you know, that with each album we've taken a step forward Forward or or a step to the side, but you know, so it's all, all about progression. It's all about adaptation, evolution, uh, and moving forward and and performing our music. We are the type of band where we we put a, we put a lot into our albums. We believe in our music as full albums worth of music. So you know, we try we try with every album to create something that is broad and expansive and epic and and you know has some twists and turns and some new surprises. So that when we get on stage, we're not bored. You know, so that we're always on the we're. Always always flying on the you know right on the edge of our seat uh, as musicians we always try to write beyond our capabilities and i think you know with the, the new stuff that we've got that's no exception i can't wait to have that nervous moment where we debut something new on stage and see what the audience or see how the audience reacts. yeah man i'm super excited for it and and super excited to hear more of gina i really loved her and your voice uh her contributions on golden gray and i imagine more time in being in the band, more time with her, getting to know her, her opening up. And I, I can't wait to hear more of the two of your voices together because it feels like yeah, a whole I mean, different we, level. We really worked hard on, you know, further strengthening the, the chemistry that, that, that exists between us. Geographically, Gina and I live very close to one another. Like our, our rhythm section, Nick, Nick and Sebastian, they live in they live in New York. Gina and I are here in Philadelphia. And, you know, she and I get together every day and, and we sing and we play guitar. And, you know, I'm really excited because, you know, as you, as you mentioned, the more time that she and I spend performing with one another and writing with one another, the, the more synchronous our voice together gets, uh, whether that's through our instrument, uh, you know, through our guitars or through, through our you know, human voices. Um, I think that, you know, and I think the new record will have that in very heavy supply, obviously. Awesome, man. Definitely looking forward to that and just want to hit you with a couple last things here. Obviously, in addition to the band and, and one of the other things that you do for the band is all the artwork, on all the cover artwork and, and uh, painting. And I'm kind of curious, what what started for you first, a, a painting or playing guitar and music? It's really hard to say because I've been doing both since I was so young, you know, since I was since really I was I was a child. I'll, I've, I've said this before, and I think this is, this is the best way I can answer that question. Visual art comes a little more naturally to me, but the two are so closely linked and have been since since I was a child that I can't really make I can't really make that distinction that much anymore. It's it's just that you know it's it's easier to say that I have a creative impulse and I have a couple different means by which I can act on that creative impulse. Are you know visual art and music are the two most obvious. So they they really work hand in hand. I think 
most often, you know, I, I see the same thing in, in the visual stuff that I do, that I can hear in our, uh, in, in our music. So whenever, as long as that's the case, I'm, I'm, I don't question where, you know, <laughs> where, what came first or whatever, but I would, I would say that, you know, it probably will, it probably aren't, you know, when you're a kid, you, you draw, you're drawing pictures before you're making music, no matter what. The music is hearing, and then the art is seen. Do you do you have a, a third uh, a hobby? Are you big into cooking or anything to get the the taste going? Or, or do you have any other well, hobbies besides those two? I do. I do love cooking. I have I have been employed at several times throughout my career as as like a, as a cook or a chef or something. Um, and I mostly had those jobs because I enjoy doing it. And it you know the life of my life as a musician and an artist meant that when I was on tour, I was. Totally, you know, it was totally social every day, talking to people, mixing it up out there in the world. And then when I come home, I'd just be a hermit and like never leave the house. So there's a couple of different points in, in the career of Baroness where I would get a job in a kitchen just so I could be around people and doing something else that I like, that I love, that, that all, you know, that further exhibits a little bit of that creativity. But primarily, you know, for me, primarily, honestly, it's, it's the arts, it's music, and it's, it's writing. You know, it's lyrics, poetry, whatever you want to call it. John, I appreciate all the time. Just last thing I wanted to hit you with, uh, and you had kind of touched on it earlier, you share a management company with uh, Metallica, and we're one of those old school radio stations that still does mandatory Metallica every night, which you're going to be a part of. Every night. Every night, every single night, Monday through Sunday. No, Don't take any nights off. We do mandatory Metallica. So I wanted to talk a little Metallica with you, and I, I know you have a relationship with the band, and, and I was hoping maybe you could give us a little story, maybe kind of humanize Mr. Uh, James Hetfield <laughs> for us a little bit, since he kind of seems to be you know, the, the one that speaks the least, even though he's the singer in the band. But uh, maybe you could shed some light on his personality, any interactions with him. Well, let me tell the story, and this will include everybody, but it, it, it starts it starts with James, um, and this this speaks to the character of this this group and why they are so influential, not only to me but to you know people the world over, and to all the you know and to any band that's ever toured with them. I think they would have a, a similar story. But the the first time that we toured with them, the first time that we ever played shows with Metallica, we were in we were doing a nearly two or three month tour of Australia and New Zealand. We'd play every city like five or six shows. It was it was an awesome it was a really cool, extremely awesome tour. But at that point the, the band had never played in, in front of that many people. I mean, we certainly we certainly had played festivals in front of huge crowds, but they weren't our crowds, you know, and they they, they were festival crowds. They're there for everybody, right? When we went on tour with Metallica, it was the first time we'd ever seen them. We'd ever been uh, performing at a venue that, you know, that would hold 30 to 75,000 people there for a dedicated show. And that's terrifying. As you can imagine, <laughs> the first time you do that, it, it, it should be terrifying. If it's not, you're a sociopath. <laughs> so, you know, so we show up in Auckland and we, you know, we get to the venue and we go to the end of this extremely long hallway down in the bowels of the uh, of this arena. And, you know, we're just in this kind of nondescript locker room, event room, whatever it was, where we would be for the next week. And we didn't know anybody. And so we're just kind of sitting there nervously trying to figure out what we're, what we're supposed to do. You know, it was, it was very overwhelming. You know, you hear a knock on the door and open the door and James Hetfield there. And, you know, he walks into our dressing room. He came in with humility. He came in in a, in a casual but caring and humble way. And he introduced himself individually to each of the four of us at the time. Hello, John. You know, I'm, I'm James. It's a pleasure to have you on tour. Something to that effect. Right. And it was really, it really was, you know, humbling and 
it diffused 95% of my anxiety about the show. You know, the other five being I have to actually go and <laughs> on stage in front of Metallica's audience and try to try to convince 0.5% of these people that we're decent. Um, <laughs> but like I said, like be, being there on tour with, you know, with our heroes, with the band that was so influential to us, you know, it was quite something else. And then to have the singer, by all accounts and by all measures, a celebrity comes into our dressing room and introduces himself to us. I got to say, as a band, it's typically the other way around. You go into a bigger band, you usually walk up to them and, and, and say hi. And when he met each of the four of us, he, he shared some personal anecdote uh, that had something to do with our band, with the band or, or my artwork, for instance. And it personalized him. It showed that he cared enough about us to know something about us. And I, I you know, and we, we'd known that, that Metallica was very involved in, in the, you know, the acts that would support them. So it became more than clear to us that, that he, he knew the band and he was a fan even more than that he was asking us very specific very like detailed questions about you know a certain lyric or a certain little piece of art that i've made or a certain album like very specific things and that was really impressive to me and it, it put our minds at ease immediately it showed us that through that kind of celebrity you can still remain humble and i, I think that when, like as you said like you know james as quiet as he can seem to the outside world i think it's i think a certain measure of that is his humility, you know, in, in, is that the fact that he doesn't feel like he needs to speak unnecessarily. And th and that's, that was my experience with, you know, every conversation I've had with him then, at that time and then since, is that he speaks about things that matter to him and the things that he's thinking about and the things that, you know, that move him and motivate him and drive him as opposed to just the simple superficial stuff. And he was there for about 20 minutes. We, you know, we met him and we, we were, our heads were spinning by the time he left the door. <laughs> I can imagine. About 20 minutes later, Kirk shows up oh, wow. and does the same thing. But it, but like in the way that he would do it, Kirk had some questions for me about a single line of lyric from a song on one of our albums. And I just was sort of blown away by the level of detail that these guys had access to and, and were aware of. And, you know, again, he stayed for about 20 minutes. He introduced himself. He spent a little bit of time with each of us, like directing his attention to each one of the four of us. And he left, and then you know, and then Lars, and then Robert, and by the end of the day, and by the end of that afternoon, we felt like we knew these people in a way that we didn't think was possible, or that we couldn't have foreseen. And it made the rest of that tour like a, a real treat. It showed us immediately before anything else happened, the guys who are in charge of this show care on such a granular level that it, it matters to them how comfortable we are on day one of their tour. And I can't stress how impressive that is to have experienced. And I have toured with, at this point, I've toured a phenomenal amount of, you know, portion of my life has been spent on the road with bands of all different sizes, large, small, everywhere in between. And that level of care and that level of detail is reserved for only the greatest artists out there. I can't say enough good things about those guys, honestly. That's crazy. <laughs> Not only did they write the best songs and the best live shows, but they're the best human beings on the planet, too. They really were sweet to us. They made us feel comfortable and welcome. And more importantly, they made us feel like peers and equals when so obviously we were not. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I'd like to think that we've grown into something that would be somewhere in that realm. But, you know, it's just amazing. And, you know, I'm getting all nostalgic just thinking about it. But it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen every time. You don't bond like that with every group. And you certainly don't do it within the first couple hours of a tour. I'm sure that they're like that with everybody. And that is 
a phenomenal sleep unto itself, music aside, you know. Yeah, well, it just shows they're good human beings and, and that they're still fans. They're still music fans after all these years. They're still music fans. They still are music yeah. fans. All right, now comes the hard part, John. You got to pick a tune for us to play on Mandatory Metallica. What's your favorite Metallica tune? Well, I don't have a favorite, man. I just got a lot of songs that I really loved. Well, what's the first one that comes um, to mind? What do you want to hear? My default's usually Orion, but it doesn't have vocals. Let's go with Motor Breath, because I remember when I was a kid, when I was like a kid in high school, and I went to school in, the, you know, I went to school in Virginia. Country music was big. Jam band music was big. Heavy metal and punk wasn't really a big deal when I was in high school. And I played football for, you know, quite a while. And I remember every every Friday night we'd have a game. You know, we'd have our psych-up music, and Motor Breath was every Friday night, the last song that we heard before we took the field. And that was a really cool memory for me. So, yeah, let's, let's check that out. Hell yeah, I love that. And I love that tune, love that story. Thank you so much for the time. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Baisley from Baroness. I'm hanging with Mike Z on 96.7 KCAL Rocks. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for the time and can't wait to see you out there at the House of Blues at Anaheim. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, have a good one, Mike. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.